I don't know. <laughs> Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. It is midnight in Cozy Corner and in San Francisco, California. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab your 44 Magnum and get ready to howl at the moon. It is time for the late night fright with Dan and Faith right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. What have we got tonight? Tonight, we got that classic 1971 Clint Eastwood movie, Dirty Harry. Can you dig it? I can dig it. I can dig it. I can dig it, too. I am the coyote. It is Mr. Thriller Month on the Late Night Fright with Dan and Faith right here on WKNF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan and with me as always is my very 44 Magnum co-host Faith. Say hi Faith. Hi Faith. Faith, we're in January. We're doing mystery thrillers. We mm-hmm. kicked it off in grand fashion with one of the greatest movies of all time, I think, in my very humble opinion, Rear Window from 1954 from director Alfred Hitchcock, starring Jimmy Stewart and the lovely Grace Kelly. The movie that we're doing tonight was not originally on the list. It kind of came together as a (laughs) supplemental, uh, synchronistic thing. Uh, The movie choice for Mystery Thriller Month uh, was 1971's Play Misty for me. We're still going to do 1971's Play Misty for me, but we have another movie starring Clint Eastwood from 1971 that we're going to do tonight. Faith, would you like to introduce this film? I would. We are talking about Dirty Harry. 1971's Dirty Harry, or as we will uh, here to refer to it as Untidy Harold, not so clean Harold. But as an added bonus, we are also going to be talking about 1973's Magnum Force, the first sequel to Dirty Harry. Clint Eastwood would play Dirty Harry in five films. I adore every one of them. Faith, uh, this was a first time watch for you, correct? That's correct. On both both of these movies. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be fun because we actually have a difference of opinion. One of us prefers <laughs> one over the other, although we love both of them yes. equally. But uh, I, I went ahead and put this on the list because we're going to be talking about Clint Eastwood, the director, quite a bit in the Play Misty for Me episode. And he's wonderful in that as an actor. But I wanted to talk about him just as an actor. And also the guy who directed this movie, Don Siegel, was a huge influence on Clint getting behind the camera. And they made some really wonderful pictures together. Don Siegel had a very good career in Hollywood. He's one of the great influential directors and action directors. You might not know his name, but more than likely, you know, some of the movies he made. And you definitely know this character that he helped create in Dirty Harry. Inspector 71. 
Harry Callahan of the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, before we get into it, what were your uh, general thoughts on Dirty Harry before you went into this? Because, I mean, this is a cultural icon, Dirty Harry oh, is. Yeah. I had already known many quotes <laughs> from Dirty Harry. Right. And I knew who he was. And, of course, I knew these movies were phenomenal. But yeah. I, don't, I don't know why it took me so long to watch them, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's Dirty Harry is almost 50 years old now, if you can believe that. Goodness. And we're going to talk about that because I think it still feels very fresh and, mm-hmm. and, and addresses some things that we're still talking about today. Magnum Force, uh, especially. Yeah. So, as I said, this is part of Mystery Thriller Month. This is kind of a fun supplemental addition to the Play Misty For Me episode that will be coming out. And I want to go ahead and announce here. Uh, so this is our Monday show. Our Tuesday show, Faith, I'm, I'm really excited about this because there's a gentleman who his name is not attached as a screenwriter on Dirty Harry, but he did indeed ghostwrite a lot of it. <laughs> I believe made the movie what it is. Mm-hmm. I believe the movie is the cultural icon that it is because of his involvement. He got story credit and screenplay credit for Magnum Force. He is one of my favorites. Faith, I know he's one of your favorites, too. Faith, tell him. Tell them who we're going to be talking about on Tuesday. John Milius. John Milius. <laughs> There's a documentary called Milius that is absolutely wonderful. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about that time in Hollywood. Uh, it's an interesting pe- uh, piece of history, Hollywood history, that he was a part of. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about him, the screenwriter and the man, and uh, really just kind of talk about how much we both love him just adore him so that's it this is uh mystery thriller month here on the late night fright we started with rear window that is available wherever podcasts are found we are continuing with this supplemental edition on dirty harry and a little bit about magnum force and we're going to continue later in the week with play misty for me and uh the rest of the month i think we have some great films the rest of the month we have 1981's Blowout from director Brian De Palma coming up next week. Uh, the week after that, 1992's Quentin Tarantino debut, Reservoir Dogs. That's a great movie. And we're going to end out January the way it started with an Alfred Hitchcock movie and the greatest psychological slasher film of all time, Psycho from 1960. I know you're looking forward to that one. <laughs> I am. I'm looking forward to it, too. And we're going to have some, some fun uh, supplemental things along the way, too. So uh, fun month planned. Like that's the word of the night. Supplemental. Supplemental. That's 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 the word. <laughs> Take of, a shot every time you hear supplemental. Yes. Rewind it. Rewind. Yeah. <laughs> rewind the show. Get good and plastered. <laughs> the late night fright does not condone drinking or driving. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm about ready to talk about Dirty Harry, but first, Faith, we have a little bit of business, don't we? Well, you do. What time is it, Faith? The news. Time for the news. Ushers at the Cozy Corner Theater are trying to figure out what is causing a god-awful smell throughout the movie theater. The main suspects are the film Cats, which was DOA upon arrival, the ramshackle plot of The Rise of Skywalker, or a theater-goer with an awful diet. We'll keep you posted. Wow. Well, Faith, it's January, and that means it's time for New Year's resolutions. With that in mind, gym memberships across the country are up 300%. Industry insiders expect a dip of 300% in February. That's probably true. Junior Watson, Cozy Corner's favorite resident redneck, recently won $200,000 playing the Cozy Corner Lottery. 
ever the shrewd businessman, Junior says he plans on investing the money in calling cards. Shrewd. Are those even a thing anymore? Ah, <laughs> oh, Junior. Faith, we, uh, we actually have an update on that smell from the Cozy Corner Theater. Ushers say it smells like Indian food that's been in a dumpster for three days under the boiling hot sun. That sounds pretty serious. Oh, man. All right. It's gross. And that is the news. Robert England. England. Don't keep us dreaming. Come on our show. Come on our show. Come on our show. Prime time. That really is gross. Well, we have a good one tonight, don't we, Faith? We do. Clint Eastwood in 1971's Dirty Harry and a little bit about 1973's Magnum Force. It's Mystery Thriller Month here on the Late Night Fright. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome to Cozy Corner. If you're a return listener, we are so glad that you continue to join us wherever you are in the world. Happy belated New Year. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. This is Harrison Ford, the Big HF, host of the Straight Dope, right here on whatever radio station this is. Why is the Straight Dope number one? People want the Straight Dope on the Straight Dope. Join me for a review of a exciting new blend called Charlie Don't Surf. Charlie Don't Surf. The apocalypse is now. The apocalypse is wow. This is guaranteed to knock you right on your keister. You'll love the smell of napalm in the morning after sampling this exciting blend. I'm also going to be talking about some of my favorite movies that I was in, including The Expendables 3, More American Graffiti, and Hanover Street. Join me, Harrison Ford, for the straight dope. Right here on whatever radio station this is. This music is fantastic. Alright, that's enough. Conspiracies is the highest rated new program on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Before you listen to the new episode, be careful where you sleep, because you're gonna shit the bed. This week, we'll be talking about human trafficking, the military-industrial complex, and demonic possession. You think you know, you don't know. Join your unnamed host from an undisclosed location for conspiracies. And check your shorts. You're gonna shit yourself. 
Conspiracies on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we're going to kick it off with 1971's Dirty Harry, directed by Don Siegel. This was written by Julian and R.M. Fink. They were a husband and wife writing team. This went through a whole bunch of drafts. It went through a whole bunch of stars before it landed on Clint Eastwood's desk and helped make him an even bigger icon than he was already at the time. Uh, as we said in the introduction, it was also ghostwritten by John Milius. He had quite a bit to do with this. He contributed, I think, the most iconic bits of, of dialogue in the question. script. Yes. Why was he uncredited? Is there a reason? Do you know, I was looking for some info on that and I couldn't find anything. I was too. I, I don't know if that was a Writer's Guild thing or if it was like he was just maybe doing somebody a favor kind of thing um i i don't know i, I really i found that so interesting i'm like i was really curious like? about it especially <laughs> considering the fact that so many people say that the movie you know was saved by john Milius, right. like his involvement in the movie saved it so it was uh the story comes from the zodiac killings in san francisco and faith i know you know a little mm-hmm. bit about that so that was on a lot of people's mind at the time, and this movie was indeed referenced in the David Fincher film Zodiac from 2008, I believe, that stars Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal and Mark Ruffalo, and it it, it kind of ruffled some feathers that they made a movie about this while the guy was, was still out there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we mentioned the great Don Siegel directed this, but uh, Don Siegel was not originally attached to it. Originally, it was Mr. Irving Kirshner who had gone to direct The Empire Strikes Back in 1980, considered to be maybe the greatest sequel of all time and a lot of people's <laughs> favorite Star Wars movie. He ultimately had to leave the project. In fact, do you know who was originally going to star as Dirty Harry? He got closest to actually being Dirty hmm. Harry. Do you know who it is? And it's kind of funny because we mentioned him a few weeks ago in relation to Die Hard because... They had to offer Die Hard to this guy, too, and the world would be so different okay, who was if it? this man had starred in Dirty Harry and Die Hard. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Really? Frank Sinatra was 55 at the time, hmm. and uh, Dirty Harry was written a little older than he than he was, uh, than Clint Eastwood was at the time. So Clint was 41. He was 41 or probably 40 when they were filming this, so, and then he looked good. Yeah, he does. Then he looked, you know, he didn't look like 40-year-old no. at that time. You know, Not at all. so Frank Sinatra was originally attached to it, and then they just went through the names. I mean, it was you know he couldn't do it; he backed out. Then Kirshner backed out as a director. Uh, here's one for you: at one time, Bill Cosby was attached to play Dirty Harry. Really? Yes. <laughs> and Bill Cosby was on a show called I Spy uh, in the '60s. It was more of a dramatic role, and uh, and Bill Bill did some more kind of hard boiled stuff. Uh, there's a film he did with Robert Culp, I believe, his I Spy co-star called uh, Hickey and Boggs, which is a police movie. So I've seen Hickey and Bobs and some of his more dramatic stuff, and uh, I could actually make it work. And it turns out that Bill Cosby allegedly might <laughs> might just be a dirty Harry himself. <clears throat> Not to kick on uh, Bill Cosby when he's down, but uh, how funny was it when Eddie Murphy did him on Saturday Night oh Live? God. Yeah. 
so funny. Funny. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But anyway, so Bill Cosby was one of the names. Uh, eventually, it got to Paul Newman. Uh, Paul Newman looked at it and said, this is great. I'm not right for this. I, uh, you know, this is mm-hmm. a little too right wing for me, but it's a great script. And uh, Clint Eastwood would be great in this. And ended up on Clint Eastwood's desk. Uh, the script had gone through about four or five or six permutations. Eastwood read the original draft with the millius, uh, uh, what's sort of looking for, revisions, mm-hmm. and said, this is the movie we're doing. This is the movie that got made. So nice. what do you think of Dirty Harry? Oh, man. Again, I don't know why it took me so long <laughs> to watch this movie. It's so good. I like everything about it. This, you know, I was rewatching this. I've seen this movie. I've been watching this movie since I was like 10 years old. And mm-hmm. I told Faith this, and I think it's, it's worth sharing with the audience. Uh, my uncle, I've mentioned my uncle on this show several times. He's the one that actually coined the term booger for me. Mm-hmm. If you ever hear me talk about monsters, I, I call them boogers. And uh, I've watched so many movies with him and, and a lot of my love of film. Not that he's a, a film connoisseur, you know, or, or, or film you know, literate, you know, he just likes movies. And a lot of my film education began at his house. And it was a New Year's, I think in 89, going into 90. And we did a double feature of Dirty Harry and Psycho. Funny enough, two movies that we're doing here on the show this month. That's a good day. It was a good day. (laughs) And, you know, 10 years old, I know, you know, maybe somebody out there is going, oh, why did they show you, you know, Dirty Harry? I, you know, everybody's different. And he knew I could handle Dirty Harry. And uh, man, it it blew my mind. Dirty Harry just blew my mind the first time I saw it. That's what she said. There it is. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> nice faith, nice. Well, you had me going with. He knew you could handle Dirty Harry, is where I started to is. lose it. <laughs> well, if you're still with us out there, <laughs> Faith, you lost us one of our five <laughs> listeners. Thank you. Please come back. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a good one, actually. But uh, so, I mean, I could, you know, it was something he knew I could I could handle watching. Right. And uh, and I still feel the same way watching it 30 years later that, that I did, you know, watching it that first time. But uh, this to me has all the hallmarks of something that you would like because you have a great killer. You have a great uh, serial killer in it. Mm-hmm. You have a really great uh uh, lead in Clint Eastwood, and I know that you like that kind of energy, mm-hmm. you know that that he that he's given off in this movie, and you can still feel the influence of this movie forty years late, fifty years. I'm sorry, yeah. fifty years later, uh, on movies like uh, Seven. Mm-hmm. Seven springs to mind immediately. We're going to talk a little bit about Seven, and I think Fincher was taking a lot of cues from Don Siegel's direction here. So, so you really like the movie? I did. And, and I feel like, you know, you say so many movies are kind of made because of Dirty Harry, but I don't still think that they're, they can kind of match. No. You know, those movies. No, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and I just finished watching the movie uh, for the show and it had been a few years since I'd seen it. This is when I, I go back, it cycles through regularly for me and uh, I watch it semi-regularly. But it had been a while, and I was watching. I was going, man, everything comes from Dirty Harry. I think you can you can tie so many things back to Dirty Harry. Uh, the Lethal Weapon movies owe everything, I think, to Dirty Harry. You know, as I just mentioned, Seven. Uh, any police action movie, you know, owes something to Dirty Harry. You could see the influence of Dirty Harry on mm-hmm. television at the time with the way you know. 
And if you watch this now, it might look a little dated because you go, oh, I've seen this before. But but this is the first one that really did it. So sometimes they'll look a little trite in hindsight. But uh, I don't even think it looks, you know, dated too much outside of the clothes, you know, for the most part. And uh, this is still just as tight and 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 visually uh, entertaining as it as it was, I, I imagine, 50 years ago. So. Let's talk about the guy who plays Dirty Harry, Clint Eastwood. I'm, I'm really excited about this because he's one of my favorites, and I know you absolutely adore this man, too. He's still going. He has a movie that's out in theaters right now that he directed, Richard Jewell, which is, uh, I don't even know what number this is uh, you know, directing-wise mm-hmm. for him, but uh, he started directing in 1971. He's done about a movie a year since then. Uh, this is probably his 50th or so movie. It's crazy. This is out in theaters right now, you know? <laughs> And he, yeah. dire- he he directed a movie last year, and he directed the movie the year before that, and he's still getting around, and he's still got all of his faculties. He's going to be 90 years old in uh, May, I believe I it know. is. And we've never really seen anything like this. It's kind of longevity, you know, in, right. a, in, in this, you know, Hollywood career. Yeah. But uh, he started off, you know, on television in uh, the 50s in a TV show called Rawhide, and then he went to Italy and made uh, three really good spaghetti westerns. Uh, uh, for a fistful of dollars, for a few dollars more, and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and she's laughing. You make me know that made me laugh. Uh, on, on Christmas night, me and my grandpa were talking about movies, and he said spaghetti western. <laughs> my whole family's like, "What is a spaghetti western?" It's a western made in Italy. <laughs> that's exactly like. And, and the irony that. is, and I was like, that's, that's the funny irony of, of the it. spaghetti westerns <laughs> is. A lot of them weren't actually made in Italy. They were made in Spain, <laughs> yeah. which is which is which is funny with Italian crews. But uh, did, did that sound familiar? That trajectory that I just mentioned there. He went from a TV western <laughs> to Italy to make spaghetti westerns, and then became a big star. Does that sound familiar? Like like maybe the plot of a movie that was out last year that we both really liked. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like Rick Dalton, Leonardo yes. DiCaprio's character from Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. uh, Rick Dalton, uh, we we did an episode on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Faith and I really loved that movie. I, th- I feel like I think about that movie every day. Is that weird? I do, I do too. Yeah, it's it's really stayed with me. Um, that episode, I, I think it's a really good episode. If you haven't seen the movie, it's spoiler free. And if you have seen the movie, you know, we do, you know, we talk enough about it to right. you know, justify it. <laughs> Yeah, without giving anything away, but uh, that's available wherever podcasts are found. And I, I really do think it's a really good episode, and, and uh, uh, that's out there. But uh, Quentin was was drawing from the careers of Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds when he was, uh, you know, creating the Rick Dalton mm-hmm. character. So, but uh, he went to Italy. He made three absolute classics in the spaghetti western genre. Came back here and and you know, just continued <laughs> continued the run and. We were talking about this getting ready to do the show, and I asked you, I said, what is your favorite Eastwood movie? And both of it. And then I realized immediately how dumb of a question that is because <laughs> there's so many. And it's like, well, do you go like director only, you know, or right. or, or a star? And um, I don't have a good answer. I would have to go probably the good, the bad, and the ugly, dirty, hairy. Uh, almost, um, I was about to say, you almost have to make a list. Yeah. You have to make like a top five list. Top in, five, yeah. In no order, really. Yeah. You know? Unforgiven is one that still blows me away. Um, 
uh, sudden impact from the Dirty Harry series is, is wonderful. Magnum Force is wonderful. But uh, there's a movie, uh, there's two movies that are, are lesser known works of his that I really like, and I highly recommend them for everybody out there. One is from 1980. It's called Bronco Billy, and he plays a Wild West showman. He's got like a Wild West review, and it's it's just, it's it's a comedy. I've actually heard of that. I've and never seen it. It's but... wonderful, and uh, I think he said it's his favorite movie that he's done. That's and cool. you can see him in it. Like you can really, there's some really sweet humor in it. Uh, the other movie that I like that not a lot of people have seen is 1993's A Perfect World. Uh, it's him and Kevin Costner, and he plays a Texas Ranger, and Kevin Costner is a convict who ends up kidnapping a kid uh, sort of by accident, uh, ends up with him when he breaks in to steal a car or something like this, and they end up on a road trip, and he kind of becomes the dad that he never had, and, and it's a really interesting movie. It's, cool. it's really, really good. And we'll, what year did you say? It was? 93. And they were both coming off of uh, Academy Award uh, winning movies with uh, Dances with Wolves and Unforgiven. And this was supposed to be this huge thing. And like it just kind of kind of came and went. And it's a shame because it's so good. And Laura Dern is also in it. And it's uh, you really just have to see it. Like some of these Eastwood movies, you have to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's yeah. and, you know, it just kind of takes its time and it's, you know, and there's no ego with it. You know, it's <laughs> but it's it's very good. But I mean, there's so many, you know, uh, it's a long list. <laughs> his movie on, on Sully was wonderful. Gran Torino is wonderful. There's yeah. so many good, good ones. Um, so this brings me to my first question is, you know, he's been around for so long now. I mean, <laughs> so long he's been a part of the culture. What is it that you think? Uh, people, you know, we keep going back to Clint Eastwood and he's just, he's this thing. What is it about him? I don't know. I always think that too. I think, I think he just, uh, I think he does a good job of whatever he's supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? If he's directing, if he's acting, I think he has a passion for it and you can see that in yeah. whatever he's working on. And I feel like that's probably something that, you know, has always attracted mm-hmm. people to work with him or. He doesn't do it just to do it. Right. He enjoys like he, doing it, yeah. but he doesn't do it just to do it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I feel like he lo- you can feel the love that he has I, doing it. I admire the, uh, there's no there's no pompousness with him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no ego with it. He doesn't consider himself to be an intellectual, you know. And uh, the actor, Clint the actor, you know, there's, uh, there, there's certain guys and a few girls as well who have that thing where it's it's instantly identifiable and mm-hmm. you could maybe make the case that, oh, they're playing themselves. You know, John Wayne comes to mind. You know, Clint Eastwood's one of those guys. Oh, he's always playing Eastwood. I'm going to make the case he's always playing variations on Eastwood because I've yeah. seen everything. I've seriously seen <laughs> everything that he's done. And no, no, he's acting. It's very laid back. It's mm-hmm. very calm. You know, right. very calm. There's there's not a there's not a an urgency mm-hmm. in a lot of things. Yeah. And Arnold Schwarzenegger makes a great point uh, about Eastwood. There was a Dirty Harry documentary, and he said that uh, the thing that is always impressive about Eastwood, and this is funny coming from Arnold Schwarzenegger, because you could say a lot of the same things about him in a in a different way. But he said the thing about his performances is he keeps everything very steady. He doesn't yell or scream. You know, everything's very steady. He says so then. When he hits you with these kind of funny lines, they're funnier because, you know, he's not doing them, you know, as a comedian. It's just right. really funny. He goes and then it kind of injects this realism into it. He goes and it's, it's this great kind of uh, thread in the line between, you know, uh, movie and realism. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I've always felt that way about him. The funny thing is 
Dirty Harry for me strikes that line between realism and, and, yeah. and movie, you know, and John yeah. Milius's work. And we're going to talk more about him on the Milius episode. They make a great point. John Milius is as a writer threads the line of realism, you know, and, and, and movie, yeah. you know, <laughs> bigger than life. I, I think there's just something very, you know, just uh, uh, you get drawn into Eastwood, mm-hmm. you know. You do. And I know there's detractors out there, you know, like, oh, he's not acting. Yeah, he is actually, you know, and, and go and watch Million Dollar Baby or Unforgiven. He's doing variations on this theme and, uh, and he's been doing it better than anybody for so long. I don't think he gets enough credit as, as, as an actor. You know, mm-hmm. what a gifted actor he is. And I think his performance really sells Dirty Harry that we're talking oh, about yeah. today. So let's talk about the character of Dirty Harry. What do you think of Inspector Harry Callahan, Inspector 71 in the San Francisco Police Department? Because <laughs> I think from the minute that this guy shows up on the rooftop after Scorpio kills his first victim and you see Harry Callahan come through the door, I, I think it's all there. Yeah. It's all there. He has a, pre- a presence. A presence, yes. <laughs> soon. What is it about harry callahan because i texted you when i was watching the movie and i said i have a feeling harry callahan's gonna be your new favorite thing ever <laughs> and uh i think i was pretty close you, wasn't you're i pre- no you're pretty right i was pretty i, mean, I was pretty right. pretty right what was it about harry callahan and, and i'm and and let i'm i don't know how to put this like let's try and like kind of distance from clint eastwood i know that's mm-hmm. i know it's hard to do no, 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 you know I'm, but because they're so tied right but i feel like oh i feel like he's so outspoken and just kind of doesn't care what anybody else kind of has to. I mean, obviously, he doesn't care. Right. There's. I, I was he's breaking these rules and stuff. Yeah, I think he's a guy. You know, I heard this uh, from a friend of mine who was a drill instructor in the military, and he said, you know, drill instructors are actually very feminine in that they care more than other people. Mm-hmm. You know. And Harry's got this such this this hard edge exterior. I think he cares so much. That's why mm-hmm. he's so he's not wound up. But right. just like you said, like he's become outspoken. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what people get from that character is he's so tired of all the bullshit. Exactly. He's tired of what's going on out in out on the streets mm-hmm. with the with the criminals, the hoods, as he as he likes to say in the movies, <laughs> the hoods and the punks. <laughs> And uh, he's tired of the bureaucratic nonsense. And you see that in the very beginning of this movie when he's uh, the scene when he goes to the mayor's office and he gets called in and he's been sitting out there for 45 minutes when he needs to be getting to work, you know, on what he's doing. So I want to talk about that scene because Don Siegel's directing in that scene. I clued you in to watching uh, how they frame Eastwood in that Mm -hmm. that scene. And did you were you catching anything there? What were you catching? Well, you had texted me to watch. Or catch the moments where the camera would be kind of down on him. Yes. Because he wouldn't have the power. Right. But when it was framed in on him. Right. He would have the power. And that's, I, I could see that. And that's filmmaking 101. Yeah. Uh, you know, camera position where you put a, a character in the frame. So when he walks in, it's far away. Mm-hmm. And then he sits down and the camera's down on him. Mm-hmm. But the camera's up on the mayor. Watch the scene. If So if you're out there listening to this watch the scene in seven where morgan freeman is talking to arlie ermy who plays their uh their boss i don't know if he was i can't remember if he was the captain or the chief okay but brad pitt's in the room watch the way that fincher frames everyone in that scene with camera angles and then the way that people are brought in to to the uh to the frame the way he tells the story visually with with Mm -hmm. uh with uh with these characters so 
you can see it happen in Dirty Harry. Then the uh, lieutenant, his his Harry's boss, comes over and and slides into the frame. And then you're down on both of them. This is the same thing happening in this scene from Seven. It's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I I didn't look. I should have looked, but I'm wondering if Fincher was aping this scene from Dirty Harry. And what it does though is Harry's, you know, has you think Harry has no power and he really doesn't. He is so, you know, his hands are tied by right. red tape and bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And I think people respond to to I don't know anyone that goes, yes, more bureaucracy. Do you know anyone <laughs> that goes more Yes. No. <laughs> yes, let us have more bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> and that kills me with some of the people and, and and please don't take this as a political stance with with people who are like, yes, let's have more government, bigger government. It's like, no. <laughs> If you say more efficient government, I am all for it, you know, but, but do you get the idea that Harry's just, he's tired of just all the bureaucratic bullshit. Uh, Yeah. So then the interesting thing though, you go to the next scene and the next scene is one of the most iconic in movies. And that's when he's going in, he's having his hot dog. The guys are robbing the bank. He he walks out chewing the hot dog. (laughs) Takes out the 44 Magnum, the Smith and Wesson 44 Magnum. By the way, sales of the Smith and Wesson 44 Magnum went through the roof after after this movie, making it the most popular handgun in the world. You get that great speech that Milius wrote. Milius definitely wrote the uh, did he did he fire six shots or only five? You know, which is amazing and iconic, right? So, but watch the way Siegel frames him there. It's close up right on. He's actually in control of something at that time. And you see it throughout the, throughout the movie, the way that he's framed. And, uh, it's, I think it's really interesting again. You know, I don't want to say, Oh, this is easy, but this is filmmaking one-on-one. These are things you can look online and find these things, but these techniques and they, uh, they've been around for a long time because they work Exactly. because they work Because storytelling, uh, filmmaking is a visual medium. This is how you tell the story. But you could watch that as a silent film and know exactly what's going on. And Don Siegel, I think, does a wonderful job of directing this movie. It almost feels like a travel log of San Francisco in a lot of ways. And San Francisco kind of becomes a, a city. But what did you think of the uh, the way that he handled like the action stuff? In the, you know, And you got Harry running around because what I like about it is it's not a nervous, you know, handheld thing. Like, uh, you always know where everything is. It, it feels like it's taking his time. Just, he's just telling the story. He's not trying to create energy with the camera. He's letting everything mm-hmm. happen, tell the story and create the energy, you know, cause modern action movies, a lot of times I get sick watching them and, and exactly. not, I'm not, I don't mean sick because, Oh, this is terrible. No, man. Like I'm having like no, an epileptic like, seizure, you know, watching it. Like the vertigo's coming out and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I agree. With you. Yeah. I agree with you with that. I mean, I think everything is framed well and you know i can't get my words out it it just it just it it just happens it's 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 amazing it's it's wonderfully shot and edited and there's a reason this is one of the great police thrillers of all time you know and and there's a a big reason is a you know it's maybe the biggest reason Eastwood became such an even bigger star than he was at the time and and what do you think of him in it? Because I know we said oh, we love Clint Eastwood. We like the character of Harry Callahan. But I can't see anyone else playing Harry Callahan. You stole my words. I can't either, especially Bill Cosby. But <laughs> beside that, you know. I would like to ask you, did he shoot six shots or only five? Do you feel lucky? Do you? Punk? Yeah, definitely. All right, there's the that. Bill Cosby yeah. for the night. <laughs> 
thank God it landed on Lenny Sweat's desk. Thank God. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I couldn't see anybody else playing Dirty Harry. No, no. No he, one. He, the world-weary thing that he has, he just, he brings to it. Uh, you can tell they don't harp on it that his wife is dead. They don't harp right. on that, but... You can feel the hurt still mm-hmm. from that. You can feel. I was going to say that you, he's so believable and he almost yeah. feels like he's not even playing a person, you know, <laughs> like that's right. He's just we're watching his life, you know, <laughs> in the movie. Right, right. And, you know, and Dirty Harry, you know why they call him Dirty Harry. Every dirty job that comes along. You know, this is not a guy who's going to be celebrated at the country club. Right. This is, you know, this is a guy just out there. Who, who's lost the love of his life and and is married to this job. And that's another thing you see that's a trope of these these police movies. Mm-hmm. You know? Again, it all goes back to Dirty Harry. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but he's absolutely wonderful. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, before we get into what I think is the other really great performance, and I think one of the greatest villain performances of all time, and uh, chilling. I know. Chilling. Uh, this movie, when it came out, was... Uh, picketed. This was, uh, you know, protested quite a bit. They said, uh, they said this was a piece of fascist entertainment. They called Dirty Harry a fascist. Um, so let's get into it. I'm going to straight up ask this. Do you think that Dirty Harry is a fascist? Do you think that this is a piece of fascist uh, propaganda? No. I don't either. <laughs> I think the case could be made that uh, the things that they were railing is, oh, he didn't read him his rights. Well, there was a clicking, uh, there was a, a ticking clock. At that time, uh, when the young girl is in the hole in the ground that uh, Scorpio has put her in, that he's abducted. And uh, I actually, because they make the point in the movie, like, we could make a case that there's duress here. And he, he you know, just find mm-hmm. out he's not a vigilante. He's right. not taking the law into his old in his own hands. Is he pushing the boundaries of what he can do? Yeah. But he's never doing it for glee. Right. You know. Right. He's not getting off on this. Mm-mm. No. Like you said, I think he's... <laughs> I think that's why I like him too. He's so fed up with what's not happening, you know, with all, with, all, with everything going on. What should be happening? What in, should be happening? What should be happening? Yes. And I mean, I yes. can understand where he's coming from in that and, sense. And and then you could make a case like, oh, well, he's harassing Scorpio. No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, my question is, how come the other officers aren't out there with him, was, waiting for I that guy, as he says, that. to stub his toe yeah. when when he gets let off on the technicality, mm-hmm. you know? But uh, no, and even at the end, he knows they're on the school bus. He knows he has the, you know, he, that he's endangering those kids. So when he goes after him, he's completely, I think, within the letter of the law to go mm-hmm. after him. So no, I don't think he's a fascist. And no. and we're going to see in the in Magnum Force, we're going to talk about it a little more. And, and I love Milius's reaction to all of this. And Faith <laughs> is smiling because we've talked about this. And she knows how much I like Millie's <laughs> reaction to all this. But uh, Scorpio, played by Andy Robinson. And let me say this uh, at the start. Andy Robinson, I've watched many interviews with him. Andy Robinson is also a Horror Hall of Fame. He was in the movie Hellraiser. He uh, has done work on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He is a wonderful, wonderful actor. And I'm going to say this. It's going to surprise a lot of you out there if you, if you know this movie like we do. <laughs> He's a sweetheart. He's the most gentle soul you will ever hear speak. I'm not kidding. Like a sweetheart, uh, a total pacifist handling guns and weapons in this movie bothered him. He didn't he didn't wow. like that at all. Uh, Don Siegel wanted someone with the face of a choir boy to play this guy. 
He got uh, somebody with these chilling blue eyes. I think Andy Robinson's performance in this movie is really kind of then what makes Clint Eastwood a bigger star because the the villain of this piece makes the hero better. And yeah. and my God, Scorpio. We don't even know his name. Nope. <laughs> uh, he addresses himself as Scorpio. In the credits, he's listed as killer. So Andy Robinson scared me when I saw this for the first time. He still scares me. That look, some of these looks that he gives and that voice and everything about him. I think uh, Andy Robinson's portrayal here is a winning combination of the Joker and Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. I think this is one that stands the test of time. Uh, Faith, what did you think of Scorpio and uh, uh, Andy Robinson's performance here? And he's uh, he, he, he could be nightmare worthy to some. I mean... Because it could be real, you know. That's the thing That's about so this one. Creepier. Yeah, he's not, you know, somebody in a mask. Well, I mean, he was in a mask at one point, but you get what I'm saying. He's not yeah. this fictional thing that someone created that you know you can't see their face or blah blah blah. I mean, and based it, on the Zodiac killer, real, you know, <laughs> yeah, this is a real person of society, and they're terrifying, and he is absolutely creepy. The thing that's so creepy about him is that you don't know who he is. And, and that immediately goes uh, to the Dark Knight with the Joker. You don't mm-hmm. know who he is. And the fact that he's so indiscriminate, he, he's, he's an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> right. You know, uh, that letter, that awful letter that he, that he uh, you know, I'll kill, uh, I'll kill a Catholic priest or, or, or somebody black. And he does. Yep. He does. He, he kills a little boy. He rapes a 13-year-old girl. Yep. You know, leaves her to die in a hole. Uh, so when Harry has him on the football field in that movie and he's, you know, uh, as the prosecutor says, torturing him for information, you know, because the clock is ticking and I'm going, yeah, dude, like. Oh, that scene. I was angry. Yeah. Because it makes you think, then why aren't all the rest of them out there doing the same yeah. thing? Right. You know, why, why don't they care as much? Right. And I'm all one for, I don't want you to think that I, I myself am some fascist, you know, <laughs> that I want these Brazilian death squads out there. That's not what I'm saying here. But, you know, um, you know, I believe in civilized society. I believe in, in rules. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I don't like it, when laws start protecting the uh, the perpetrators of violence and evil more than it does the victims, because that's what I feel happens here. And Harry says it. And uh, this happens too often in society. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong, and then sometimes it just gets to the point uh, where it just infuriates you like this. And you know, and, and I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I'm. I'm not condoning going out there and taking the law in no, your no, own no, hands. No. But yeah, it's infuriating when something like that yeah. happens. You know, and exactly. uh, no, but when he has him, you know, and and he's taking no joy in that. You know, but uh, you know, yeah. But, yeah, but Scorpio. does he deserve it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm all for him shooting him at the end. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm too. all for it. He had it coming. He threatened to kill kids. Yeah, you don't hijack a school bus and, yeah. and start hitting children and <laughs> expect yeah. to just uh, walk away. He, he again he raped and killed a 13 year old girl. Mm-hmm. He shot that woman at the beginning. He killed the the 10 year old kid. Uh, did he kill it? He killed. Uh, he didn't kill the liquor store owner, but uh, I feel like did he kill anybody else? Hmm. Might be one I'm missing, but just and I love the fact that he's got the peace symbol on his belt. You know, at one point you see him. You know, it's it's awful. It reminded me of Freddy Krueger. It really did. Yeah. Like that guy could have could have played Freddy Krueger and could have played uh, you know the the early years of <laughs> of Fred. 
you know, but he had a Joker thing about him too, with he the really chaos did. element that he introduces into this story. Yeah, uh, you had you had texted me, and that's what you described him, and I watched it, and I was like, that is so accurate. I mean, to the I can't even talk. You, you nailed it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, Andy Robinson would appear in another. Um, Don Siegel movie called Charlie Verrick uh, two years after this, and he did not play a creepy killer as he did here. He played uh, part of Walter Matthau's uh, uh, team that uh, robs a bank. Charlie Verrick is a great movie. I want to recommend that to everybody out there. If you haven't seen Charlie Verrick, it's a story about a, uh, a thief and his crew. Uh, one of them is his wife. They they rob like a farmer's bank in, in Iowa or somewhere. And I forget what the number is, but they're expecting like maybe $10,000. Okay. They end up with like hundreds of thousands of dollars because the mob is laundering their money through the bank. And then they end up with the mob after them. And uh, Andy Robinson is one of uh, uh, Walter Matthau's people there. And Don Siegel really enjoyed Andy Robinson and wanted to put him in something where he wasn't the freak killer. You know, because he said for years people would come up to him and want to fight him, you know, and be scared of him. And like I said, the guy, if you watch any interview with him, he's such a nice guy. And he, um, he said he really got into the zone on this. And Siegel was letting him ad lib a lot of stuff. One of the lines is when uh, he's got uh, Callahan against the cross, and he says, "I pull out your gun with your left hand." You know, he pulls out the gun and he pulls out the forty-four Magnum. He goes, "My, that's a big one," you know. <laughs> and uh, that's the the take in the movie is the second take because the first take everybody laughed. <laughs> Every they said everybody, <laughs> you know, thought it was great. But uh, he 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 did offer up a lot of things uh, to that role, and I think there's a great synergy between the actor and the character. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's creepy enough, and I think he brought you know a creepier vibe to it. And I think he beat out, or at one time James Caan was uh, attached to that when Sinatra hmm. was was involved. So I, I can't see anybody other than Andy Robinson in Me this <laughs> in this in this role. Me neither. I think the cast is, I mean, top notch. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're about to take a break, but we are going to be talking a little bit about Magnum Force when we get back. So let's go ahead and do favors now. Uh, just any any favorite moments from this. I will say this right up front. Uh, my favorite line is the uh, Milius, uh, did he fire five shots or only six, which comes back in the end, which I think is a great, you know, kind of kind of bookend on the movie. I like uh, John Mitchell plays the Giorgio. He has the classic bit of. Uh, you know, uh, why they call you Dirty Harry, and he goes through all of the ethnic slurs. <laughs> I think that is a wonderfully funny scene, you know, in uh, Clint Eastwood when he winks at him after, you know, because they don't mean any of it. That's great. Also, like the uh, scene with the suicide jumper. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, I like the humor Eastwood is able to inject in, in a lot of this. Um, it's so good. It uh, really is. I, I will say, probably uh, for me, when he's standing on the bridge and the school bus is going mm-hmm. and he's standing there waiting for him on Sir Francis that Drake Boulevard and Scorpio gets scared. You know, that was he's not favorite. supposed to be here because he's scared of him at that mm-hmm. point. He should be because he's about <laughs> to whip his ass. <laughs> oh, I will say this when uh, Scorpio paid the guy to beat his ass and, and frame Callahan, mm-hmm. make it look like he uh, beat him when Eastwood says, uh, anybody who knows me knows I didn't do that. Why is that Harry? Because he looks too damn good. <laughs> so, uh, what, were, what were some of your favorite moments well, the from bridge, this? The bridge moment was absolutely my favorite scene. Uh, I liked the hot dog scene. Yeah. <laughs> it made me laugh. Yeah. Um, man, there are a lot of good moments, though. There's so many. I even, like, just from his perspective, looking, like, with the lady in the pool and stuff, like, all those shots and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think they were, I think everything was so well done. 
Yeah. Uh, two things real quick. Uh, we need to talk about the score by Lalo Schifrin because oh, the score yeah. is amazing here. Yeah. It's going to tie into uh, my, my final question about it. Uh, I think uh, Lalo's score gives us so much energy. It does. And if you don't know who Lalo Schifrin is, he wrote the theme for Mission Impossible. He's written uh, scores for many movies, including Rush Hour. Um, I think the whole uh, Rush Hour trilogy. But so many classic films, uh, they're escaping me at the moment, but uh, this is one of one of the notches in his belt here, uh, Dirty Harry, and he did several Dirty Harry movies, and if you're into film composition, he wrote a book about film composition, which I highly recommend, I've learned a lot from that, and he's a master of this genre, and uh, bringing in rhythms, uh, I mean, like, like really nice rhythmic stuff, and you hear it all in the percussion on here, and Harry's uh, little ostinato that he has, and uh, the score here is so good. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, it gives it an energy, and then you get that haunting piece at the end when Eastwood's walking away, and uh, one of the uh, kind of tropes of the Dirty Harry films is he always walks away at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene where he's trying to eat, and he has to go do something, <laughs> and then he walks away at the end. But uh, what do you think about him throwing his badge away at the end? Because Eastwood didn't want him to throw away the badge, and then he eventually said, yeah, that's the right idea, you know, the way it was written. What do you think about the badge? That's a good question. I thought about that when I was watching it. I've, I I've been thinking about it. And uh, I think at that point, I think he's done with the. I think at least for that moment, you know, mm-hmm. he's done with it. Yeah, because look what, look what, how it turned out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All, all of these things could have been avoided, uh, yeah. you know, with the school bus being hijacked and him having to shoot him if things would have been simpler through the actual, you know, yeah. with the police. I mean... The th- I think the thing that pissed him off the most is that the courts didn't even make an effort. Mm-hmm. You know, well, maybe we could do it. It was like, well, why don't you do it? You know? Right. But uh, yeah, bureauc- you know, I think, you know, the bureaucratic mentality is not one to be envied or applauded. And I think that's part of why this character st- has stuck around for mm-hmm. so long. I know I was watching it going, I know exactly how he feels, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly, exactly how he feels. Uh, one other question. Would you feel better if there was a dirty Harry out there, a real dirty Harry? Yes. Me too. It's a shame we don't see movies like this anymore. Movies for adults like this. I was honestly thinking that while watching it and just while, I mean. Could you imagine this movie today? This would not get made this way. No. Absolutely not. Because it's so uh, not politically correct. Right. And that's a good thing. (laughs) I know. You know, I I think it's a good thing. Yeah. So The more movies I watch like this or in that time frame makes me not even want to watch movies today. Like, come out today. You just don't, I don't mean. And that is not because. You're a racist, sexist, no. uh, homophobic bigot. That that's not what that's not what it's, that is. No, not it's at all. just able to address adult themes, right. you know, and deal with them in a mature manner, and not have to have, as I've said before on the show, story boxes checked. Exactly. Make sure we're not offending anybody. Well, real life offends all the time. I know. And uh, <laughs> this is a great movie. And uh, as we said, we just wanted to do it because Don Siegel is uh, one of the guys Clint Eastwood uh, dedicated Unforgiven to. Uh, he dedicated it to Don Siegel and Sergio Leone, his two uh, big directors that he worked with and, and really inspired him to become a director. And I wanted, you know, we didn't talk much about Siegel, but just wanted to get this one out there because it comes out the same year as Play Misty for me. And Clint made his directorial debut with that. And uh, this is a mystery thriller. And it was like yeah. just serendipitous <laughs> the way I, again, I was just one more. I went. We should totally talk about Dirty Harry, <laughs> you know, to talk about Clint, you know, the icon you know, and then really mm-hmm. get into play misty for me so do you have anything you'd like to add about uh 1971's dirty harry no other than i'm glad that you decided to pick it so i can finally watch it because (laughs) right (laughs) it was i mean so good and then i issued the ultimatum i said you need to watch uh 
because of Milius. You're like, do you think you can watch Magnum Force? Like, sure, and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> because, uh, because of Milius's influence in Dirty Harry and Magnum Force and uh, with Clint Eastwood, I was like, this would be a nice bridge to just, you know, kind of talk about Milius a little bit. We're going to talk about Milius a little bit more when we get back uh, from the break. We're going to talk about 1973's Magnum Force. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Scott Rice, host of Laser Beams. Pew, pew. That's Laser with a Z and Beams with a Z with your update from Laser Lanes. Tonight's high score in Laser Tag was Sith Food 69. He had 544,000 points and 223 CK. That's confirmed kills. Kills with a Z. A fight almost broke out between Rammer Jammer 69 and Spooge Lord 69 when it came out that their mommy and daddy are dating. Whoa. We found out when they arrived to pick them up from Laser Lanes together. Hubba hubba. Join me, Scott Rice, for Laser Beams. Pew, pew. That's Laser with a Z and Beams with a Z. Right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. The fight was almost a wizarding contest. They were going to cast spells. Pew, pew. This is Burke Biederman. Cozy Corner's resident old bastard and host of Bustin' Balls with Bert, the most politically incorrect show on the radio. Join me this week as I talk about opinions. How come there's so many opinions out there? Opinions are like assholes. There's too many of them. I'm gonna bust their balls right on the radio. Join me, Bert Peterman, for Bustin' Balls with Bert. Turn down this goddamn music. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Faith, uh, we were talking about 1971's Dirty Harry and the iconic scene where he's eating his hot dog and he's stopping the bank robbery and he's walking down the street (laughs) in San Francisco. Did you notice what was playing on the theater marquee behind him? Play Misty for me. Play Misty for me. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was... uh, Oh, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we both really enjoyed 1971's Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry of the five uh, films is my favorite of the bunch. My favorite sequel, uh, it, it changes between the one we're going to talk about, Magnum Force from 73 and 1983's Sudden Impact. But uh, Faith, uh, Magnum Force, you really, really enjoyed this movie. And I, I I've known you long enough to know when... When it's like, oh, I like, oh, I like that. No, no, you, you really enjoyed Magnum Force, and I'm going to ask you straight up, uh, what was it about Magnum Force that that got you? I, don't, I really don't know. It just pulled me in instantly, and I don't know. I didn't want it to end. I was just so drawn to it, and I loved everything about it. 
I liked Holbrook in it. I loved the chasing. I liked all the action in it. I just, I loved it. I don't know really why. So I really like this movie for a couple of reasons. Uh, Clint Eastwood is amazing in it. David mm-hmm. Soul and Robert Urich and Tim Matheson and Hal Holbrook are, are in it. I love the story. I really, though, like where the story comes from because, as we said, 1971's Dirty Harry. Oh, this is a fascist movie. They're out there picketing it. You know, they picketed it at the Oscars. You know, oh, Dirty Harry, fascist, you know. Uh, John Milius, uh, John Milius, a screenwriter. Now, we're going to talk more about him on the uh, Tuesday show on the documentary that we watched on him and, and kind of, you know, talk a little bit more about his life and his work. But uh, John Milius is brilliant. <laughs> and John Milius is right wing. John Milius, a uh, you know, Hollywood Republican, outspoken, uh, you know, uh, has always had a thing of going the other way. So the the counterculture says, you know, goes this way, he's going to go the other way. But uh, what I like is that Milius looked at that criticism, you know, oh, he's a fascist. You think Harry Callahan's a fascist. And I've heard him say this in an interview, I'll show you fascism. (laughs) And he shows us what fascism looks like. And there's a line in there about the Brazilian death squads, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the way that these uh, would brief synopsis of this movie. Would you like to just give a very brief you synopsis? You go for it. Okay. <laughs> so some motorcycle cops under the uh, guidance and tutelage of Hal Holbrook's uh, Lieutenant Briggs. Uh, they're killing people who I would say, yes, need killing, but they're not giving them their due process or their, uh, their day in court. They're not uh, upholding the law. They are going around it. And they're taking it into their hands. They're vigilantes. They're fascists. They even look like fascists in their leather jackets and their helmets and their sunglasses that reflect you, you know, back. You can't see their yeah. eyes. You know, what a, what a way. What a way to, to, to illustrate the point. No, Harry's not a fascist. This is fascism, right. you know. And um, I I love that he did that. I mm-hmm. love the, the, the genius stroke of that. Now, I will say this. Milius is on record. He doesn't like the finished film because they changed some things. I don't think he likes the third act with the with – the, uh, uh, confrontation with the officers, but uh, you can tell the Milius stuff in there. You can. Do we see. know what was supposed to be there? I, no, they never said. No, no. Uh, he didn't like him having a little girlfriend in this, or or a, a bed buddy, I should say. You know, but um, I really like Magnum Force. And I think Magnum Force stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. Uh, I really like Eastwood's performance here. I do too. You know, it's it's not as tightly wound as Dirty Harry. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can still see that he's just just choking under the weight of the bureaucracy, right. you know, and you see it scene after scene after scene, you know. <laughs> um, this has my favorite scene in any of the Dirty Harry movies, though. It's when the uh, they're having the shooting championship out on the range mm-hmm. and um, he uh, they're doing combat. And so the little things will pop out and he has to, you have to shoot them. If you see somebody uh, friendly, you don't shoot them. Well, the policeman, he knows at this point that the policemen are the bad guys, right. these rookie policemen. And he shoots the police officer and he just turns and looks at him in that way that only Clint Eastwood, you know, can look. Exactly. And uh, it's my favorite Dirty Harry moment, I think, out of any of the movies. Mine and too. Uh, then the other thing, too, the uh, the theme of the movie, which I think is a very Milius line, a man's got to know his limitations. Mm-hmm. And limitations really is the, the theme of this movie. You know, how far can you go? You know, exactly. And Harry uh, makes the great point. You know, I hate the system, but it's the best we got. And if one, a better one comes along, I'll, 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 I'll do that. But this is the best we got. He's not down with the executing of the people. Right. You know, yeah, you know, without proper due right. course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you feel that this is a nice companion piece to the first one? Oh yeah, I think so for sure. 
Do you feel that uh, Milius uh, answered the question? Oh, yeah. Do you feel that he he yes. was he was able to kind of yes. kind of give a, a treatise on on that <laughs> as only so. Milius <laughs> as only Milius could do, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, I I really do like Magnum Force. I think I think it's a, a worthy sequel yeah. to to Dirty Harry. And yeah, you know, this is a time too when sequels weren't the rage. You know? right. So it's kind of a kind of a cool thing. Right, you know, they got like, a sequel out of it. You know, you said you know what's happening with the story. I think that's why I like it too because I feel like so much of that happens or could be happening now. You know, in a way, and I think that's why I like it because it was like let's address it like this. You get what I'm saying with this, I, yo, you know, yeah. you know and, oh yeah, and you got, uh, and again, not to not to keep harping on it, but you have a genius like John Milius addressing it, right? Who <laughs> who who does know what he's talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, knows the ins and outs of this. You know, in the in the history of the death squads, and because I mean, they make the point like right. this is what communist nations do. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you know, we don't do that here, right? You know, right? And that's not what Harry did in the first movie. That's not what he did at all. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. no, they're doing it. You know, it's cold blooded murder. You know, right. what Harry did was not cold blooded murder. That was, I, I do believe he was performing a public good at that point, you know, <laughs> but um, no, Magnum Force, I think is a worthy, worthy sequel. What were some of the things that you liked about it? Oh, all of it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like the fact that the police are, you know, the, the little group of police are the villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Hal Holbrook is such a. Such yeah. a badass. Yeah, I like him, and he just plays that nasty cop so well. You did know? you suspect him? Not, not really. Not at first. I, I don't. I don't think I did. Yeah, Harry didn't. Obviously, up until <laughs> up until the very end. Uh, I really liked uh, early his partner mm-hmm. in this. I thought I thought they were a good good mix. You know, yeah. uh, kind of funny. He had a Hispanic partner in the first one he had a uh, black partner in this one he has a female in the third one in the fourth one he doesn't have a partner uh and in the fifth one uh i'm trying to i'm trying to remember but uh i, I think it's very interesting though you know yeah. it's like, i mean you, know, yeah, you want to talk about representation there's representation it's unfortunate he had a blow up yeah fortunate <laughs> early had to blow up yeah you know so i like the scene where that the uh hamburger stand he and early in the old uh Homicide detective uh, has opened the burger stand, yes. but they're telling the stories about you know the nasty stories, and Early's just ready to puke, you know, especially after seeing you know the dead bodies. You know, it's 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 really a uh, I think it's really a great movie. What about the uh, the airplane? The airplane yeah. scene is 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 priceless. Uh, the Eastwood line leading into that when they're you know if you haven't seen the movie, there's hostages on an airliner, and uh, the uh, FBI is on its way, but the uh, airport security trying to figure out what to do and they want an overseas pilot and he walks in there eating his hamburger and he goes what's going on you know and uh they're like who are you i'm a police i'm a police officer you know and uh well they want an overseas pilot do you have one no may i make a suggestion and next thing you see him that cut dressed up walking out yeah and you know it's not going to end well yeah but all like um excuse me captain can you you fly fly? is he like no no. (laughs) It, it really it really is, and I think uh, we're actually going to do an episode on sudden impact as we get you know, into the month because I think it's uh, if Dirty Harry was a Hitchcock film right. in a lot of ways that uh, there's some great stuff in uh, in sudden impact. But I'm really glad that you enjoyed Magnum Force, yeah. and and like I said, I wanted you to watch it just because of the fascism question that right. you know because I got lobbied at, at Dirty Harry, 
and Millie is answering it, you know, I think as, as we said, only Millius can do, <laughs> you know? No, I'm glad that you, you know, you asked me to watch this one too. Yeah. I'm so glad I, I watched this one. I don't know. This one was just, I'm not saying Dirty Harry is a bad movie at all. No, <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, maybe you were just a little more entertained by Magnum Force, you know? It's, I think I just like the action going on with, you know, yeah. the, the, uh, motorcycles chasing them in the car and yeah. the ship. I don't know. I just <laughs> it's a it's an exciting movie. It, it, it really it's still exciting. You know, yeah. uh, fifty something years. You know, forty something years after <laughs> after the fact. Um, what? Um, and I know I asked you this at the beginning of the show, but uh, you were familiar with Dirty Harry, mm-hmm. obviously. Were you surprised at how much you enjoyed these movies? Because I know sometimes there can be a disconnect when you have this much time, right. you know, between a movie and, as I've said on the show, the tropes. You know, these are these are the movies that did some of this first. Right. I mean, it's kind of like a yes and a no. <laughs> if that makes any it sense. Makes, yeah. At all. I mean, I've seen Clint Eastwood movies and I'm never disappointed, ever in the ones that I've seen. So I wasn't surprised that I liked it, but I don't know. Like you said, with it being that old and what's going on maybe i was like okay i actually like this more than yeah you know dirty harry the the first one that's uh it surprises me every time i watch it that it just doesn't feel dated it doesn't feel old i've seen it 25 times easily and it's still i still see new things i i I, i'm I'm still impressed by it you know it Mm -hmm. doesn't it's not old it's not a chore to watch it it's it's such a i think it's just a damn fine movie and i think really helps establish that other iconic part of him you know he's got the right. western you know the western actor the gunslinger now that you know the policeman you know mm-hmm. and it's and it's so he's so great no, no. you know he's so great um you, you would you like i think we already have cited favorite moments from uh from magnum force do you have a you have a favorite moment oh, mine is the may i make a suggestion i think because <laughs> i actually texted that to you when i was watching i think you did. i think it's such a such a great moment <laughs> The, uh, and of course the the championship scene at the the was, shooting range and I would like to add uh, this neither here nor there uh, Suzanne Summers is in this movie mm-hmm. a small role and she takes her top off <laughs> she does she does and she's in a swimming pool <laughs> <laughs> that was your favorite part for sure <laughs> it sure was no ah uh, I liked the whole moment of him in the car with uh hal holbrook Hall, the 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 last act when yeah, yeah when it's revealed that he's mm-hmm. he's the villain behind yeah it all. yeah i, I think, think that's, that's when scene. the action was kind of i was like ooh, <laughs> this is this is exciting i don't know i, I like the whole movie but that shooting the shooting competition scene was definitely yeah my favorite too it's definitely more action oriented i think than dirty mm-hmm. harry yeah and I, I, I guess i tend to like yeah oh yeah action. <laughs> like i said like I said, you, oh, you prefer one dirty, hairy movie over another. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> There's something to recommend in all of them. There really is. I think they're all really, really wonderful. I just, for my money, I think Don Siegel doing Dirty Harry right. just puts it, that, that's like next level. Right. You know, it, it's, it. but my gosh, you know, they're all, they're all just so good. <laughs> so, well, as I said, we are doing this because we're going to be talking about Clint Eastwood's directorial debut, uh, 1971's Play Misty for me. And I just thought it would be nice to do another mystery yeah. thriller with Clint, the actor. And we're going to be talking about him, the director, on Wednesday's show. And on our Tuesday show, the one right after this, we're going to be talking about the guy who ghost wrote Dirty Harry and got story and screenplay credit on uh, Magnum Force, Mr. John Milius. If you don't know who he is, you need to know who he is. Look him up and maybe you might learn something about him on our next show. We're very, We're both very excited to 
be doing that show because oh, yes. we both really just love and adore John Milius. And uh, he's one of the great figures in Hollywood. And the time that he was in is a great piece of history, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Hollywood. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one and uh, play Misty for me. And again, we have Blowout coming up next week. We have Reservoir Dogs sometime in the near future and Psycho and Faith. Uh, mm-hmm. You're you're grinning i can see you grinning when i mentioned psycho yes because i love psycho so much so do i but also the title blowout makes me laugh that's what she said <laughs> feels like it's that time doesn't it, it do you have anything does. you'd like to add about these two movies i think that's it i think that's it watch them watch them <laughs> watch, really them. And watch if, them and if and if uh clint eastwood or you know oh it's too violent that's not your bag give these a chance go on with an open mind because they're they're really great these are yeah yeah, these are movies you really need to see before you leave the planet because oh, yeah. they're that good. So it feels like it's that time. It does. There's the music, Faith. It is indeed that time. Time to say goodbye. It is time to say goodbye. Thank you for joining us. And again, if this is your first time, welcome. We hope you come back. And if you're a return listener, thank you for choosing to spend a little time with us here in our cozy corner of the podcast world. We know you have a lot of options as to how you spend your time. Thank you for choosing to spend some of it with us. Again, happy 2020. I hope your 2020 has been the best year ever. And I hope the rest of it is the best year ever. (laughs) Faith, you got anything? I I agree with you. I hope it's a wonderful year for everybody. I hope our show has a great year. Yes, I hope everybody has the best year ever. (laughs) Let's do it, Faith. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember... Keep Keep your your monster monster on a leash. We'll see you on the other side. This is the Coyote for the Late Night Fright. Thank you for tuning in. Take the good vibes you got from this show out into the world with you. If you can't find them vibes, look right into your heart. They're waiting for you.